you guys are amazing. Y'all are amazing at that. That right there, y'all, that, that is great. Y'all are incredible at conversing with each other. I will fully self-disclose that if I wasn't held accountable by our lead pastor and others here, overseers, I would let you guys do that for the next 30 minutes because it would save me from having to teach Romans chapter 5. Not that I don't want you to know about Romans 5. I do. It's just that it is, uh, man, Romans is deep. Like I, if you ask me what's your favorite book of the Bible or chapter in the Bible, I would say like Philippians 4. I like that. I like the book of James. A lot of applicable stuff in there. Smaller words, it seems like. <laughs> And you get to Romans, man, and there's every word's got like five, you know, whatever those parts to it and syllables. Yeah, that's what it is, syllables. And I mean, even, you know, Jose's gotten up here. I don't know if you've been here the last few weeks, but he's got this like Sally sells, she sells by the seashore thing he does, you know, where he's like, you know, it just basically says that God's righteously, righteousing unrighteous people into his righteousness. And I'm like, what? You know, yeah. Well, that alone sounded like an awful lot to try to take in. But it turns out that the practical, applicable stuff is much less important, if significant at all, if you don't first understand the fuller story of God and his pursuit of us and our falling short and his sending his son and sacrificing him so that we might have a relationship with him so that all of that practical stuff actually has some energy behind it to make a difference in our lives. So we dig in to Romans, but let us put it in perspective first, because I got to wrap my mind around this. I don't know if you're like me, but Paul wrote the letter to the Romans in 56 AD. So I'm like, well, what was going on? Because I've been to Rome. I've been there a couple of times. And I'm like, well, what was going on in 56 AD? Well, it turns out it looks about like it does right now, other than there's like a Gucci store and some other stuff that I had to keep Christina away from. But back then... Man, a lot of the stuff was starting to be built, and it's crazy. In around 52 AD, so just before the letter, the emperor at the time, uh, Claudius, he passed away, and Nero took over as the emperor. And then, so 56, the, the letter's written, is delivered somewhere shortly after that. Around 62, uh, man, Nero decides to divorce his wife and, and marry his mistress, and around 64, uh, the great fire of Rome happened, which it turns out was set by Nero or somebody representing him because he wanted to clear space to build a new palace. But they blamed that on the Christians, and many Christians were persecuted at that time as a result of that. The year after that, 65, Nero actually got in a quarrel with his new wife, and he beat her to death. And uh, yeah, this is all what's going on as this letter is going on. I just want you to understand the context of what's happening in this situation. Around 70 AD, they started building the Colosseum. Anybody seen the Colosseum in person or at least seen pictures of the Colosseum? 70 to 72 AD, they built the Colosseum. Two to three year period, they built that. Now, I don't know if you've got a contractor and you're trying to get some stuff done around your house right now, but they built that Colosseum back then in two to three years. Ben is a contractor, and he told me that they didn't have to get permits back then, and that's why they pull it off <laughs> as fast as they did. Later in that Colosseum, in the, in the 100s, so 30 years or so later on, they started having those things uh, where they persecuted Christians in there. They have, you know, the scenes, like if you've seen The Chosen, you know, I think of Bethlehem being like El Dorado, where this little town in West Texas 
And I think, you know, well, you know, Ephesus and, you know, those places where Corinth were probably a little bigger. They were probably like Rockport or Port Aransas or something like that. It'd be like, it, that probably is a similar comparison, but Rome was like Las Vegas. It'd be like one of us saying, I'm going to write a letter to Las Vegas and convince those guys they need to really understand Jesus better and accept him as Savior. That's what Paul was up against. And so he goes deep in this letter because he wants them to understand these truths in a significant way. He starts out in chapter one by helping them understand that they are trapped and guilty. Then he moves into chapter two and he says, they're not going to get untrapped by the law because they're going to fall even shorter as they compare themselves to the law and try to live up to the law. So in chapter three, he tells them about Jesus and salvation that came through Jesus. And then in chapter four, he says that based on that, if you accept him as your savior, you become a part of this faith-based multi-ethnic community. And he gets all the way down to Abraham and using him as an example of what faith looks like. And at the very end of Romans chapter four, verses 23, he really lays out what it means to be a Christian. He says the words, it was credited to him were not written for him alone. He's referring back to Abraham because Abraham's faith was credited to him. He says, not just for him, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That applies to us. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus rescued and restored all of humanity through his life, death, and resurrection. It's a powerful message, and it's what we're getting at here in Romans. But Romans 5 goes a step further, and it says not only were you saved, but you continue to be saved. There is security in the fact that that salvation continues. You cannot lose it, is what Romans 5 is going to tell us. Because the same law that would judge us separate from Jesus at salvation would judge us after, and we would again fall short. So the beauty of our relationship with God is that salvation continues, and he continues to give us grace, and he continues to impute his righteousness on us. And that's what Paul is going to get into. That's why it says the very start of Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. I'm no English teacher. I just... Couldn't remember the word syllable a second ago, so I can't tell you if that's past participle or past whatever it is, but I can tell you that's the past tense. Since we have been justified. It's not saying we got to be re-justified and re-justified. It happens. In our country, we have a thing in the law called double jeopardy, and it says that you can't be tried criminally twice for the same you could commit a crime, be tried criminally, walk outside the courtroom. There can be microphones there, and you can say, I did it. As our Savior, we're in this community of faith, and that cannot be taken away from us. And there are so many, um, yeah, amen, uh, amen. And there are so many incredible gifts that come through that. And that's what Paul writes about at the start of Romans 5. Three in, three in particular, he said, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Three incredible outcomes of being justified by faith. The first one is that we have peace with God. 
help you understand what that means. That doesn't mean you will have peace in your life. It means you will have peace with God. You are now in peaceful harmony with God and nothing can change that. It's not talking about our external. We're still going to have trouble. Jesus goes so far as to say, you will have trouble. I don't know if it's like this in your home, but man, life can be going really well in my work, in, in everything I'm doing outside the house, in my serving in different locations. It can be going great out there. And if, if there's tension in our home, if Christina and I are in a bad spot, if there's disharmony there, it doesn't really matter what's going on around the outside. It feels miserable. And the opposite is true to a large extent. If things are going really bad out there, but at least inside our home, Christina and I are in a good spot and our kids and we're trying to encourage and love each other, we can handle what's going on out there. That's what he's referring to here. It's like the world can be hard, but you will have peace with God. There's comfort and harmony in that relationship. There's so much security in that realization. Then the next thing he says is not only peace, but through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Grace. Access into his grace. Access means exactly what you think. Like we have, we have the ability to get to it, right? And you're like, all right, well, would it, I mean, I want access to God. Do I have, yeah, you do have access to God through prayer and connection and presence and the Holy Spirit. But even more so, he says, in this context, you have access to his grace. Well, I mean, is that better? Well, let me put it to you this way. If I said, hey, I can get you access to Elon Musk. We can go have a, spend a day with him. Some of you would be like, that'd be pretty cool. He's creative, seems kind of intelligent. I'm, I'm curious to see what he thinks on certain topics. Yeah, let's go, let's go hang out. Let's get access to Elon Musk. And a lot of you might agree to that. But what if I said this? Or I can get you access to Elon Musk's $190 billion dollars. You can choose. Which do you want? I mean, I'd be like, well, I mean, it'd be fun to hang out with him, but I'm going to hang out with his accountant in the $190 billion. Let's go that route. That sounds better. That's what Paul's saying here. You have access to God, but man, you have access to his abounding grace, his unmerited favor that never ends. Not only that, but you're standing in it. If you've ever been in an arid environment, have you ever watched one of those old Westerns and they get to a creek and those horses are dying of thirst because they've been carrying those cowboys and other stuff. And they get to that creek. They don't just stick their head in. They walk into the creek and stand in it and drink while standing in it. That's what Paul is saying. We are standing confidently in the unmerited favor of God's grace. That's pretty cool. We got peace and harmony with him. We have unmerited favor that we're standing in. And then it says we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We're going to brag on stuff. We brag on our kids. We brag on other, our team that we love. He says, we get to brag on the hope of the glory of God. We know where we're going to spend eternity. And that separates us from every other religion out there. Every other religion out there, they're waiting until the very end to see what the judgment is going to pan out to be. We've already experienced that judgment. Jesus experienced that judgment. And we get righteousness imputed onto us when we receive him as our savior. We get to boast in that already. That's, that's, it's not hope like, man, I hope my team wins this afternoon. It's hope like I see a light at the end of the tunnel. That is what the hope is referring to in the Greek in that term. That's three incredible gifts. How many of us don't need a little more of those three? Peace, grace, and hope 
in our lives. That's what happens when we turn to Jesus as our Savior, and we're justified by faith. Whew, we made it. Romans 5. All right, let's pray it out. Oh, that's verse 2. Sorry. <laughs> Pack a lunch, folks. Uh, not really. Uh, I got to be honest, out of the whole thing in this expository, whatever teaching we're doing right here, man, I love verses three and four. Um, Christina grew up in a Baptist church, and they had a thing called the Roman Road, where they would share the gospel based on certain verses in, uh, in Romans. Anybody else ever heard of that, the Roman Road? Okay, some, sometimes I think she just makes stuff up to <laughs> see if I'll say it on stage, you know. Um, okay, good. Some of y'all have heard of that. Uh, well, I like, I, if there's a Roman road, I think verses three and four to me, like they're, they're the Roman path. Like it's not quite as well-worn, but I think it's incredibly necessary and important for us in our lives because it says in verse three, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. I think Paul writing, he's writing, you know, like we're writing to Las Vegas. He's writing, and he didn't want them to get the idea that like, hey, if you follow Jesus, life is going to be a bed of roses. And if everything isn't perfect in your life, then you must be doing something wrong or Jesus did something wrong. Paul wanted to dispel that myth right away and say, look, I'm not telling you life is going to be perfect. As a matter of fact, you will face trials and you will suffer. That's part of living in this fallen world. But as a believer, as somebody justified by faith, you will go through those trials differently. He says, the first thing is that trials produce perseverance. The Greek word there for perseverance is hypomone, hypomone. Man, is Carl here? He's probably, okay, good. We already got through Carl. Uh, some of you may know that's this Greek way more than me, but hypomone. Hypo means under. So like I'm, I'm diagnosed hypothyroid. That means my thyroid underperforms. Hypo, mone means uh, abide. So abide, abide under. It means it's this picture of holding on, just holding on with all you have as the trial comes at you. Imagine a tornado coming through and we're just kind of holding on for all that we have. That's the picture that Paul is painting here. He says, when trials and suffering come, believers hold on. They don't cut and run. They don't say, why me? They don't point fingers and blame others. They just hold on and wait. Tommy Nelson said, wait in the winter of difficulty so that you can experience the spring of God's blessing. That's what this is trying to tell us. You hold on and holding on produces something, right? That holding on produces in our version, it says character. The Greek there is dokematsu. It's this idea of testing to prove something. It's proof. It's like I've, my character has withstood the test, and now I am proven. Trials produce perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character leads to hope, that light at the end of the tunnel. You guys, we, we need this message in our lives. We need to understand that we will face difficult things and we get to choose, will we cut and run or will we hold on? And if we hold on, the outcome of that is the development of this incredible character. We see it over and over again. Our kids play sports. You can put your kids in any activity that you want, but you need to put them somewhere where they can learn these lessons and you can walk alongside them. We just think sports does that for our kids. Last night, 
Yesterday, we were in the playoffs for the fifth and sixth grade basketball. Small, small kind of stuff, probably, but you know what? We're playing. We win a couple of games. We make it to the championship game. We got these eight guys, Colt over there, Micah Ford, and six other guys, and we get to the end of the third quarter in the championship game, and we are getting spanked. I mean, we are getting roasted. These guys are running all over us. They're better than us. Their coaches are better than our coaches, me and Cody. We are just getting toasted. And our guys, man, they, they came off the court at the end of the third quarter like, is this over yet? And like luffed it over to the bench. But that was the moment. Man, that was the moment. Tears in a couple of their eyes that we got to look in their eyes and say, you know, this, this is the test that we persevere through. We may not win this game, but we're learning life lessons that build character that lead us to be ready the next time we get in this situation. You got to find places to help your kids get in those situations. It doesn't have to be sports. There's all kinds of places that can happen. But you need to find those tests and see how they bear up and be able to encourage them through those. That's what Paul is saying, that as believers, we will experience those things, but it will look different as we go through those. He goes on to say in verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And hope does not put us to shame. The title of our series is Unashamed. Here's the beauty of it, you guys. We can be assured that what we believe in today will happen. God is not going to lose us along the way. We're not going to slip through his fingers. We're not going to get to the end of this thing. And he's like, oh, I was just kidding. It was a big sham. That is not what's going to happen. God is who he says he is. We will reach the finish line and we will not be put to shame. We will be proud that we walked the journey because God is faithful. He can't lose us. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I know my sheep, my sheep know me, and I will not let anything rip them from my hands. And he goes on to say, and my father is the same. Nothing will be ripped from his hands. If you professed faith in Jesus Christ and you've been justified by that faith, you, the enemy will continue to come against you, but you will not lose your salvation or be ripped away from Jesus. It, all, it, it finishes there in verse 5 by saying, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Have you ever seen the Sherwin-Williams logo? Has anybody seen that lately? It's the, it's the earth, and then there's this red paint kind of covering it, which I can't, I'm like, that is the grossest logo for, like, who, that does not make me want to buy paint. It makes me want to buy paint remover, you know? Like, that's... Uh, but that covering is what, is what this is referring to, that God's love covers us. It's, it doesn't just pour out on us. It covers us and fills every corner of our hearts. That's how thoroughly he loves us. So, you know, you may experience the, the peace and, and the grace and the hope of God. I hope you do. You may go through tribulations and you may hold on. And then a third way that you will know that people are believers is that they will feel something different. There's a heart, it's hard to put into words, but you experience God in your heart. Billy Graham uh, tells the story of a man who was walking along. He saw a kid flying a kite, and the, the kite was just, the string was all let out, and the kite was, must have been way up there because he looked up, and he said, how do you, I don't even see a kite. And the kid said, I can't see it either. And he said, well, how do you know the kite's still there? And he says, because I feel the tug. Sometimes the only way you can explain God in your life is that you feel the tug. And that may not witness well to others, but it sure brings comfort to you when you need to hear it. Moving along. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. 
Um, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's just good into this concept. Paul's trying to you know, help people understand how much God loves us and what he really gave up for us. And this thought that, you know what? You might die. There, there's probably people in your family you would die for. Don't tell the ones you would and the ones you won't. That's not the takeaway here. But there's people, you know. There, there, are, there might even be some friends that you would die for. There's probably not many of us here that would die for our enemies. And that's what Paul is saying. He used four words to describe us in those, those few verses. He says, we were ungodly. He said, um, we were powerless. Uh, he also goes on to say, we were sinners and we were enemies. And yet still... God sacrificed his son. So then he goes on to say, how much more would he do for us now that we are part of his family and we love him? It's like me looking at my kids and saying, they're like, are you going to give us our inheritance? Hey, when you, when you die, is there going to be anything left? Are we going to get it? Or what are you going to do with it? And me saying to them, look, when you were small, when you had nothing to give me back, when, when I, I loved you enough to discipline you and care for you then, now that you're following Jesus and living a moral life, how much more would I want to bless you? what God is saying in that moment. So when you put all of that together and you get down, um, man, it's just, it's a neat section, the first half of Romans 5. I think of my dad. I hope you think about somebody in your life when you get to this point, because the reality is I've watched my dad. I've watched him pursue the Lord. I've watched him experience that peace and that grace and that hope. And then, you know, I've seen him go through trials and tribulations. I've seen him when my mom passed away and how he fought and held on through that. I've seen him married again, and I've seen him have to bury, after 33 years of marriage, my stepmother. I've seen him fight through the loneliness of that, and I've listened to him tell me that when he feels the loneliest, the thing that fills him is this tug inside his heart. That's the power of God. That's his testimony. What's your testimony? Can you say the same things? Are you experiencing the same things? As we finish up um, this little section of Romans chapter 5, uh, it says, Since we have been justified by his blood in verse 9, now how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? And then it talks about that enemies that I said, and uh, sinners and enemies. And then it finishes verse 11. Not only this is so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We're back to boasting again. We're boasting in Jesus again. We're proud of that. It's exalt is another translation of that word, boast. What are you going to boast in? You're going to boast in your own, you know, success. Are you going to boast in what's going on uh, with your favorite athletic team? Are you going to boast on how successful your work is? Are you going to boast in Jesus Christ? Then Paul shifts gears, and uh, the last half of Romans chapter five. It's like he's trying to. He knows who he's writing to, and he's like, I gotta get their attention. I got these Jews and these Gentiles in the Roman church there, and I want them to really understand this point. How can I get it across to them? How valuable and important what Jesus has done and how it's secure and lasting. And so he goes back to the example of Adam because he knows they will understand this. See, because there was this concept, uh, particularly for the Jewish people, they, they grew up reading about it and hearing about it, that original sin was imputed onto man and mankind because of Adam's failure. In the garden, there was Adam he failed. His sin was imputed onto all of mankind, and we've all sinned since that time. 
And so that was a concept they would understand. So Paul said, you know what I'm going to do in this last half of this chapter is I'm going to contrast Adam to Jesus because somehow I need you to understand that through one man, righteousness was imputed to all. Jesus was that man. So I'm going to read a little of it, not all of it. There's a lot. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. So there wasn't a law before Moses, but people were still sinning. I mean, we, there's deaths and murders and all kinds of grief, you know, jealousy, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died for the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? I was with Paul Dunn's brother, John, this week, and uh, he's a neat man, and he reminded me of a story when someone was teaching him early on how to speak. He said, Tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And uh, I thought that was pretty good. And as I read this passage, if you want to keep reading, you will see Paul illustrate this in this letter. He tells you what he's going to tell you, then he tells you, and then he tells you again, and then he tells you what he told you. And so I'm not going to read all of it, but suffice it to say, he does an amazing job at contrasting Adam, us, mankind, humankind, and Jesus, Savior, perfection. So just a few of those kind of on the screen comparisons. And as, as they put that up there, first of all, just think of the compare. They both ended up in a garden. Adam was in the Garden of Eden. Eden means delight. Adam was in the Garden of Delight, and he said no to it in disobedience. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means crushing. Crushing. Jesus said yes to crushing in obedience whereas Adam said no to delight in disobedience. And that's just the start of the differences. You got that slide? There you go. Adam's decision to trespass led to sin, which led to judgment, which led to condemnation, ultimately death. That's all in that passage there in Romans 5. Jesus chose obedience, which led to righteousness, the gift of grace, justification, and ultimately life. For us, the choice is before us. Which path do you want to choose? You can follow the path of Adam and man, or you can follow the path of Jesus. And I believe wholeheartedly that they lead right to where the bottom of that page says, death and life. That is the choice before you. I went to uh, Kissing Tree about a month ago. I don't know if you've ever been over there. It's a community over in San Marcos, and uh, I pulled up to the gate. And I said, hey, I want to come in. I got something to do. And the guy at the gate says, well, I don't think so. Who are you? And I said, Sean Stover. I said, that doesn't carry any weight around here. And I, he, I, he said, uh, well, are you, do you own property here? I said, no, I don't own any property. He said, are you over 55? And I said, well, I'm pretty close. I mean, I get a fake ID probably and sell you on it. I mean, I'm right at the doorstep. And uh, he said, nope. You know, and he said, are you good at pickleball? I'm like, no, not really. So he's like, no, you can't get in to Kissing Tree. I don't, you try to get in over there, it's not easy. That's what's going on with me. And so I thought for a second, I was like, I'm supposed to speak to these men over here. And I said, uh, Marco, do you, do you know Marco? He said, yeah, I know Mar Marco. Yeah, why? Why don't you say so? And I'm like, Marco, I'm on, I should be on the list. Marco, put, I'm going to speak to his group. 
And he goes, oh, well, why didn't you say that? He goes, Marco. He flips back in his little book. He goes, what was your name? It was Sean Stover. He says, oh, yeah, you're right here. Come on in. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. So I got in there. Now, here's the deal. I don't know how much longer I have here, but someday I'm going to go to heaven. And knowing me, I'm going to boldly walk up to the door and I'm going to be like, dude, I made it. And he's going to be like, who are you? Sean Stover. He's going to start looking and he's like, I don't see you. I'm going to be like, no, there's an extra E in there. Stover, are you looking in the right spot? And he's like, you're not in here. Sorry, man. And I'm going to be, he's like, why? Why would you be in here? Well, I've lived a good life. I've done it. I've made good decisions. I'm sure I messed up some, but overall I was a pretty good person. He say, no luck, bud. I say, wait, well, wait. Will you look under Jesus? Oh, well, why don't you say look under Jesus? All right. Yeah, you're right here in the book of life. Yeah, not awesome for me. Awesome for Jesus and awesome for all of you who have said yes to him. Our name, our works, our good deeds are not going to get us into heaven. But the name of Jesus will get us in there. Not only that, but we will have an amazing opportunity here on earth to experience these things that Paul writes about because of the security that we will feel. I'll end with this verse from Joshua. Uh, it's bold, man. It just basically says out of those two paths right there, Adam's man's path or Jesus path, choose, choose this day. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And then it describes some gods of the ancestors or, you know, some gods of that day. We could certainly unpack what the gods of our day here in our culture in America are. But at the very end, it says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You choose this day which path. And if you've done that already, celebrate that fact and the peace and the hope and the grace that you get to walk in. And if you haven't, maybe it's time. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Paul and his boldness and his writing, your inspiration and guidance of every word. And uh, as I joke about the depth of these uh, passages, I'm also just thankful that um, it is clear. It's deep, but it is clear, and it is not complex. It is Jesus, and it is his name. It is his life, death, and resurrection that we hang our hats on as believers. We count on your peace and your grace and your hope to guide us, carry us through those difficult times. We will hold on tight. We will not give up. We will not faint. We will not be phonies when things get hard. And for those of us here, Lord, that need Jesus as Savior, let this be the day. Just let them make the choice to follow your Son.